Revelation chapter 1. The book of Revelation has a special place in my heart. I would not recommend necessarily that people do what it just fell out that I did. But in the, the first year that, that uh, I was saved, the book that I probably spent the most time in uh, because of a Bible study that our College and Career Age group was doing was the book of Revelation. I mean, I went in neck deep. And, uh, and boy, I'll tell you, uh, it really helped me get grounded in a lot of different areas. And it's, 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 it's really probably one of my favorite books to preach and teach. Um, I think I've taught it here twice. I think I've taught it probably four or five times just in, in my overall ministry. And uh, really, really enjoy and get a blessing out of the book of Revelation. We're going to be, going to be taking a look at some verses, three different glimpses this morning of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one is in Revelation chapter 1. Let's all stand together, if you would. And look with me in verses 1 through 3. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his uh, servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and, and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you'd help us to get uh, a little extra wider glimpse of who it is we serve, of our Savior, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, I'm thankful for the book of Revelation. I'm thankful for the the explanation of come, but uh, sometimes we get so caught up in that, we forget about what the book's really all about. It's really all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would guide and direct and bless this morning, help us to get a glimpse of the Savior that will help our, our personal walk. If there's anyone here this morning who has not yet trusted Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior. If they're in a today, they're not absolutely positive that they go to, to go to heaven because their sins are not taken care of and forgiven. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, bless this time together. Meet with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, I find it interesting. Of course, on the top of your Bible, it says the revelation of St. John the Divine. And that just simply means that that uh, John was the one who was given the revelation. And I've, I've, heard, I've heard people, uh, you know, I've heard preachers criticize that and say, well, that's incorrect because it starts out and says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation. Well, you know, just use your, use your head, will you? Uh, the, it, it was the revelation that was given to John, but it's about Jesus Christ. And so many times when we think about the book of Revelation, all we think about is the future events. And it's true that it is a book about the future. In fact, it's, it's, it's uh, divided up in such an excellent way. It, it really leaves no doubt as to where we are and what's coming. 
uh, first three chapters, you got church, 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 church. And then heaven opens and somebody goes up. And that's John, of course, and he's a, he's a picture or a type of, of the church. And we go, we go up in, in the chapter 4 and verse 1, and from 4 1 to the, to the end of 19, there is no mention of any church whatsoever. Why? Because that's the time of the seven year period of tribulation on this earth. Then heaven opens again, and Jesus Christ comes down, and his armies come down. And uh, after that, then there's a thousand year reign, and then we go into eternity. So it's, it's, it's already lined out for us. It's got a, a natural, natural outline. But the thing sometimes that we forget is really who this book is about. My father-in-law, uh, Debbie's, Debbie's dad, was a Baptist preacher. And he, he, uh, he, he did, I, we found out later on, he did a lot of writing. And uh, I've got several books that he wrote. He... he uh, he he bound them himself and and uh, and and printed them up and so forth. One of the things that he wrote was a commentary, and I remember it. I don't have it anymore. I think Jason's got it now, um, but it's a commentary on the Book of Revelation. And but he wrote it from a totally different perspective. And I when he told me about it, I, I just I really loved the concept. He said, listen, he said, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to look at every single chapter and see how it reveals Jesus Christ to me. I thought, man, that's good. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's, was the purpose of the book is to, to reveal the Lord Jesus. Well, there are three distinct appearances of Christ, three distinct pictures that the, that the Lord gives us of Jesus Christ in, in the book of Revelation. And we're going to take a look at, at how Jesus Christ was revealed in these three times in this book. The first one, we find it's in, it's in chapter 1 when he's revealing himself to John and speaking to him about the seven churches that are in Asia. And uh, if you look with me, look with me in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. 12 through 18 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs, were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his, his, hand, his right hand seven stars, and out of his, his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now it's, it's obvious that this is a picture of Jesus Christ. And he's referred to here as 
the Son of Man. But notice that the, the picture that is painted for us is totally different than any of the pictures that you would see that artists have rendered at the Last Supper or walking to, uh, on the road to Emmaus, even hanging on the cross. Uh, it's a totally different picture than, than what we, we see in artists' renditions. In this, in this particular picture, he's pictured as a righteous judge. Notice, he's got white hair. It says that he has eyes which are as flaming fire. He has feet that are as brass. Now, in the Old Testament, the brazen altar was the place where the sin offering was given. And, and that was a, a picture of judgment, of judgment of sin. So his, his feet were as brass. It says his, his voice was like many waters. That sounds like a waterfall to me. And uh, if you've ever been near a big waterfall, I had, had the opportunity here years ago to take a, a, a trip on a, a little tugboat called the Maid of the Mist. It's over in Niagara Falls. And I got on that tugboat. I think Jonathan was with me that, that time. And we were in our raincoats, and it got absolutely soaking wet. But one of the things that absolutely uh, uh, amazed me was well, two things, actually. One was the power of the falls. They had this little tugboat, and it was, it was full throttle, and it could only get just so close. And, and it, it, couldn't, it, couldn't, uh, it couldn't surpass the, the power that was coming off the fall, falls. But the other thing I noticed was you couldn't hear anything but the falls. That's all you could hear. It drowned out every other voice, and, and all you could hear was, was the falls. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a picture of, of the Lord. When He speaks, it ought to drown out every other voice in our life, and we ought to just focus on Him and Him alone. It says there was a two-edged sword that came out of His mouth. And, and, of course, that two-edged sword in Revelation 19 is the one, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and He uses that to judge. He uses that for judgment. He judges with the Word. And then His face shone like the sun. Uh, in, in the Scriptures, uh, you often find uh, the S-O-N and the S-U-N somewhat interchangeable. Uh, it talks about in the book of Malachi when the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in His wings. And so Jesus Christ is likened to, the, the Godhead is likened unto the Son. And, uh, you know, I, I heard something, I, I never heard it before until I went down to, until I went down to Richmond one time. And uh, I think it was Brother McClary made the, made the comment. He says, you know, the same Son that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. I thought, woo, that's a picture of the Lord. Uh, depending upon who is responding to the message, when uh, the Lord is preached, uh, sometimes the hearts are melted, sometimes the hearts are hardened. And uh, uh, God, God is, a, is compared, often compared to the sun in Scripture. Um, God is a trinity, and it's interesting to note that, that uh, the sun has three different kinds of rays. It has heat rays, it has light rays, and it has what they call actinic rays. The heat rays are the ones that you can feel, but you can't see. Kind of sounds like the Holy Spirit, huh? You can feel them, but you can't see them. 
the, the, the light rays, you can see them, and you can feel them. That's a picture of the sun. And then the actinic rays, you can't feel them, you can't see them. That's a picture of the Father. And uh, uh, when, when, when you take a look at the sun in the sky, the sun is even a, a picture of the Lord Jesus in the fact that, you know, when we say, when we say uh, a day, we say morning and evening. That isn't what God says. Uh, when he created the heavens and the earth, he said the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day. Uh, it's always the evening and the morning. Starts with the evening and ends with the morning. Well, you think about it. The sun, yeah, okay. The sun sets in the west in the evening. And usually, what color is it? Well, it's usually red. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Then he goes down, I mean, from our, from our viewpoint, we know this, this is the way it is, but from our viewpoint, the sun sinks down into the earth. And then the next morning, it comes up on the other side. Well, what is that? That's a picture of his death, his burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, you know, that's why the Bible says that the... the uh, uh, you know, that, that all nature, that all creation declares the glory of God. It's just right there, right in front of us. And if you think about this, this picture with the white hair and the flaming, flaming eyes of fire, the feet of brass, the voice like many waters, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, the face shining like the sun, that's not how John remembered Jesus Christ. Uh, he, Jesus was, or John was the one that at the Last Supper uh, leaned on Jesus' breast. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't see him in that light. And notice when he did see him how he responded. Verse 17 says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. He fell at his feet as dead. Why? He was worshiping him. He got a good glimpse of the Savior, and he immediately worshiped him. Uh, you know, you, you, this just proves conclusively that it had to be the Lord Jesus Christ, because no one else is supposed to be worshipped but, but Christ alone. When uh, John did the same thing with an angel, the angel said, Get up! Nuh-uh! No, don't you do that! Get up! Why? Because God's the only one that ought to be worshipped. And, and uh, uh, John responded properly and immediately fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Jesus told him, he said, he said, fear not. Why? Well, because at that point, he had not come to judge him. He already had his sins judged on the cross. And the truth of the matter is, that's the same way with you and me. But we need to see that he is one that is worthy to be worshipped. I believe that, that one of the things that's missing from Christianity today, and I, I, I see this a lot, is that we've, we're really missing out on the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if we feared Him properly, we would also worship Him Properly it says that he holds, in verse 18, he holds the keys of death and of hell. 
And uh, if you are saved, he has unlocked both of those for you. Uh, you, you, you. You will not die eternally. Instead, you will live eternally. You will not go to hell at all. You'll never, you'll never feel the fires of hell. You'll go to heaven for all eternity. What a blessing that is. That's the Son of Man. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. And is he a judge? Yes, he is. Is he to be feared? Yes, he is. But our sins have been judged by him on the cross, and that's why uh, we can have no fear of, of death. We, we don't need to have any fear of hell because he has paid the price for us. So that's the Son of Man. Second picture that's given, go with me to Revelation chapter 5. I about got up and, and uh, shouted hallelujah when the choir sang, Worthy is the Lamb this morning. Because uh, I, I knew that that was the second point in my message. Revelation chapter 5 and verses 6 through 13. 6 through 13. Revelation 5 verse 6 says, Then I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And the new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne. In verse 6, it tells us that, it, that when John saw, saw him, he saw him as, as, a, as a lamb who had been slain. In other words, he still had the marks of being slain. I, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ's resurrection body, and you find this even in the Gospels, Jesus Christ's resurrection body, though it's a perfect body, it has scars on it. And there's, there's holes in his hands, there's a hole in his side, there's holes in his feet. Uh, when, when he came to Thomas, he said, he said thrust in into my side and feel it. Uh, he's going to have the only marred, scarred body uh, in, in, in heaven. Your body won't be like that. My body won't be like that, but his will. And, and here's why I believe. I believe God wants us to never forget the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. 
He never wants us to forget how much the Lord Jesus Christ loved us, and he loved us enough to go to the cross and to, to, to pay the price and to, to, to suffer for our sin. You go down to verses 8 through 10, and they sing, and they sing about him. He's worthy to be, be, be sung about. We have, you think about it, we've got over 400, over 400 songs in that songbook. And of that, those 400 songs, they're all about one person. They're all about Jesus Christ. One we sang this morning, all that thrills my soul is who? Not me, not you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. He, why? Because he's the one that's worthy to be sung about. Um, you know, if you're saved, you ha- I don't care what's going on in your life right now. You may have some difficulties, you may have some trials, you may have some worries right now, and, and maybe, maybe right now your mind and your heart are a thousand miles away because of something that's going on in your life. But can I tell you something? I said, you know, regardless of what was going on right now, you always, you always, you always have something to sing about if you're saved. Because you can sing about your Savior, and He's worthy of, of our songs, and He's worthy of our praise. Uh, you've been redeemed, and you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and the Bible says that we've been made kings, and we've been made priests. And, and, you know, in heaven, I believe, you know, you hear the, you hear the old business, well, what are you going to do in heaven? Just fly around and play your harp? Well, first of all, I don't find anywhere where the Bible says I'm going to get a harp. But I'll tell you one thing I am going to have, and so are you, a voice. You're going to have a voice. You know what you're going to do in heaven? I believe one of the things you're going to do is you're going to sing about Jesus everywhere you go. And you're going to praise the Lord. Now, listen, folks, if we're going to spend eternity doing that, shouldn't we spend some time down here practicing? <laughs> you know? Shouldn't we? Listen, uh, the truth of the matter is, you're all, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're already saved. Your, your sins are already forgiven. Your sins have been judged on the cross. They've been paid for. Isn't that something to sing about? Isn't that something to praise God about? And of course it all is. You know, you say, yeah, but you don't understand what I went through this week. Uh, Maybe you were sick this week. I know we got some folks that have been sick. We've got some folks that probably are not here this morning because they're sick. I I understand that. Oh, the coronavirus is coming. Well, I tell you what, I'm not going to sing about the coronavirus. I'm going to sing about Jesus Christ. Uh, You want to overcome? You know, honestly... Uh, even Christian folks sometimes, we think more about the troubles that are going on in this world or in our lives more than we spend time praising our Savior and our God. There's something wrong with that mentality. There's just something wrong with that. And, and the truth is, the Bible says, He's worthy to be praised. Well, if He's worthy to be praised, and I'm not doing it. If He's worthy to be sung about, and I'm not doing it, then there's something wrong with me and there's something wrong with my heart. The Bible says, uh, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If, if the Savior is overflowing on the inside, then, then it's going to come out. Look, look in verse 12. It says, saying with a loud voice, 
worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Uh, you know, when, when, when we're in heaven, we're not going to be praising David in heaven. We're not going to be praising the Apostle Paul in heaven. We're not going to be praising Abraham or Peter or Jeremiah or John or any of those. We're going to be praising only one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that when they praised him, it says they praised him with a loud voice, not under the breath so nobody could hear, but a loud voice. Do people around you, your, your, your family, in your home, uh, your, uh, the folks that you work with, uh, your, your extended family, uh, you know, parents and cousins and uncles and grandparents and so forth, do they, do, they, do they know that you are happy that you are saved? Do they know that you are pleased that, that God is your Savior? It ought to come out of your mouth. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to sing here in church, and you folks always sing good. You always have. I, I'm, I'm thankful. You always sing like there's more people in here than what we have. Always. It's always been that way. And I, I appreciate that. But let me ask you something. Do you sing out there? Do you sing out there? Do you, do you, do you ever just, you say, well, they'll think I'm a crazy person. Oh, don't worry about that. They already think you're nuts. They do. They, they think you're crazy. They think you're nuts. So you might as well just confirm it for them. Amen? And, uh, uh, and, and the reason why is he is worthy to be praised. You know, if, if Christ holds the, the rightful place in your heart, he's gonna, his praise, your praise of him is going to come out of your mouth. You're going to speak of him. Uh, you know, again, out of the abundance of the, uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do you speak about anybody more than you speak about Jesus? Do you talk about anything more than you talk about God and His Word? Now, I'm not saying don't talk about those other things. I, I have no problem. But you know, if it didn't know better, if it didn't know better, with some Christians, I'd think that maybe their God was really sports. Because they talk more about sports then they talk about God. If, if I didn't know better, I'd think that maybe some folks, God was their work. Because they talk about work more than they talk about Jesus Christ. If I didn't know better, I, thought, I, I would think that, uh, think that their God was their family. You know, I think family is a good thing. I think work's a good thing. I have no problem with sports. I have no problem with any of that stuff. But you know what? When any of us start speaking more about other things than we speak about the Lord, there is something wrong. I mean, again, in eternity, we're, we're not going to go up there and, and praise the Syracuse Orange. <laughs> we're certainly not going to praise the Buffalo Bills, that's for sure. Uh, <clears throat> there might be some that will try to get to praise the Packers, but they'll, they'll be straightened out. Uh, but, but, the, but, but the truth is, is that there's one person we're going to speak about in heaven. Well, how much more is that necessary down here? Do people look at us and see who we serve? Well, they do. <laughs> the question is, who do they see? Do they see Jesus Christ? Or do they see something or someone else? 
Um, you know, again, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to praise God, so we might as well spend some time and practice here. You know, you look down in verse, uh, go up a little bit. We're in, we're in chapter 5. Just go up to verse 11 of chapter 4. And notice what it says. It says, Thou art worthy. This is what's being spoken around the throne of God. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That means that you are here for Him. You're not here for you. You're not here to have fun. You're not here to please yourself. You're here to first and foremost, more than, more than anything else, to please the one who created you. And one of the ways that we can please him is to praise him and to honor him and to glorify him. Why? Because he's the saving lamb. Then the third, the third picture. Go with me to Revelation 19. And I really like this passage, and I'll tell you why, one of the reasons why I like this passage, because you and I are in it. You and I are part of it. There's armies that will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and, uh, and we are part of that army. But if you look with me in Revelation 19, look in verses 11 through 16. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness... He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, fine linen, white and clean, and out of, the, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is, this, he's being portrayed here as the coming king. And he's called the Word of God. You find that, that the Bible is called the Word of God and Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. Why? Because you can't separate God from His Word. Uh, he is His Word and His Word declares Him. Uh, this is, the, this is the, the greatest war, the greatest battle that we just read about that, that will ever be fought on planet Earth. Uh, the armies that follow, as I said, are you, you and I. And it's, an, it's an unusual war. This is an unusual war. It's, it, it's unusual because there's absolutely no casualties on his side. <laughs> the casualties are all in front. There'd be no casualties behind the Lord Jesus Christ. And after this war, there will be a, a thousand years of peace. Uh, what, what's God doing? Well, he's purifying first. And because without, without purity, there is no peace. I mean, you think about that even in your Christian life. If, if God hadn't come and cleansed you from sin, you could have no peace in your heart this morning. And the reason why we have peace is because there's cleansing first, there's purity first. And after the purity, then there's, then, then there's peace. He's called, he's called in this passage faithful, 
and he's called true. Um, he'll, you know, he's faithful. Uh, the Lord told us that he would never leave us, and he would never forsake us. I know there are times when you feel like you're alone. I know there are times when you feel like, like maybe the heavens are brass. Uh, there are times when you feel like like uh, God has deserted you. And I've I've talked with people over the years, and I've I've gone through these thoughts myself. Lord, I don't understand why you did, and not just in my life, but I've seen it in the lives of others. And and I've scratched my head and said, I, I, honestly, God, I don't get it. But you know, one of the things that is that is reassuring to me, the Bible says He's faithful, and the Bible says He's true. And whether I get it or not really is immaterial because he's got it under control. Amen? He's got it under control. He's, he gets it whether I get it or not. And my thoughts are not his thoughts and my ways are not his ways, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he knows, because he's faithful and true, he knows what the end is from the beginning. Uh, if, you, if you follow Him in this passage, all those that follow Him, all of them are victors, without exception. And again, you and I will be in that, in that army. Uh, we will all be victors. And we have today, we have victory. We have victory already over death. We have victory already if you've trusted Christ as Savior. You have victory over sin. You have victory over death. You have victory over hell. You'll have someday victory over the grave. You've already got those victories. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, We are more than conquerors. Why? Well, it's because it's through Him that loved us. So because we're more than conquerors and because we already have the victory, how should we live? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. We'll not only have the victory then, well, we've got it now. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." Let me just ask you this question. Does that characterize your life? Are you, you know, are you living what God tells us to live because we have victory? And when people look at you, do they see someone who's steadfast? To be steadfast means to be consistent, means to be faithful. Are you faithful? Are you steadfast? Are you unmovable? You know, do you, take a, do you take a stand for right and just stay there and stick it out? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? When people see you, do they see someone who's steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? The Bible says because we have the victory, that's what people need to see. And even more importantly than that, that's what our God deserves. He's given us the victory. He deserves a people that are steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, we've seen three, three pictures this morning of, of Jesus Christ. First picture was the Son of Man. 
And the Son of Man is worthy of worship. Uh, worship involves adoration. By the way, when you spend time in prayer, spend time in prayer adoring your Savior. You know, let, let me give you a challenge to sometime this week. Instead of going to God and, and doing your, your regular prayer routine that you do, one day this week, just say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to come to you in prayer and just going to adore you. Just going to adore you. Just going to tell you all the things I appreciate about you. Just going to tell you how much I love you. Just going to tell you that, uh, that I'm, I'm so thankful for, for who you are to me. Uh, that's, that's worship. It has to do with adoration, uh, honor, respect, reverence, submission. Uh, you know, a submissive heart. Not my will, but thine be done. That's what real worship is all about. Because he's the Son of Man, he deserves all those things. He's also not the Son of Man, but he's not just the Son of Man, but he's the saving lamb. He's worthy of, of song. He's worthy of praise. And not just praise here. But thank God for what He's done for you out there. Go out there and tell people what kind of a Savior you've got. Go out there and tell people that are not saved uh, how good God has been to you. Um, again, you know, it says, it says that He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, but He ought to be our Lamb of God. We've got a song in our, in our songbook, and I love it. It, it's it's uh, entitled, Hallelujah, What a Savior. And it's one of those songs that when I sing the first verse, I'm excited. When I sing the second verse, I'm even more excited. When I sing the third verse, I'm about ready to come out of my skin. And by the time we get to the last verse, I'm just absolutely ecstatic. Why? Well, because you, you just think about how good God has been to you and who He is. You know, even if your life has totally fallen apart, I'm totally falling apart. Understand, you've got a God that's keeping it together for you. You've got a God that's giving you the grace to keep it together. You've got a God you're going to spend eternity with. Man, you talk about someone who's worthy of praise. Our Savior's worthy of praise. And then last of all, He's coming King. He's worthy to follow into conflict. There's a lot of conflict in this life. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves through sin. We bring it on ourselves through our actions and our attitudes. Other times, it's brought to us. But but if you, if you look if you look down the down through the ages, there are many there are many who have given their lives for Jesus Christ. Um, one of the books, if, if you don't have this book, and I've never read the whole book. I've read bits part, bits and pieces of it all the way through. But it's a, it's a fairly thick book. It's about this thick. And it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Somebody needs to get that. And of course, it's my wife. <laughs> it may be the Lord, so maybe you need to, to answer the phone. But, uh, but uh, uh, by the way, check your phone. Make sure that yours is off too. I think mine is. But uh, I've had that happen to me. But uh, uh, the Fox's uh, uh, Book of Martyrs is a book that, that uh, talks about people that have given their lives over the years for Jesus Christ. And, and the truth of the matter is he's worthy of, of giving your life for now you, But the truth of the matter is you probably won't be asked to give your life. 
as far as dying for him. But you are going to be asked to give your life as far as living for him. Do you live for him? He's, he's, he's worthy of giving your life to so that, so, that, so that he rules and reigns in your heart and life. And, and you think about it, he is, he, is, he is to be our king, he is to be our lord, he is to be our sovereign in our lives, and yet he's benevolent. He's, he, he, he not only gives us the victory, but he's kind and he's sweet. You, you look at these three pictures, son of man, saving lamb, and coming king, and he's a God worthy of our lives, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for the clear pictures that you've given to us in the book of Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Lord, when we, when we contemplate and think about the fact that you are the Son of Man, that you are the coming King, you are the, as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Lord, you're worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of our life. You're worthy of our thoughts. You're worthy of our dedication. And you're worthy of our commitment. Sometimes, Lord, we are not steadfast. Sometimes we are not immovable, and oftentimes we're not abounding in the work of the Lord like we ought to be. And Lord, that's for all of us, not just for people that are in full-time service. We're all saved. We all have you as Savior. And our lives ought to be wrapped up in you because you are worthy. One of the things that I get out of the book of Revelation every time I read it is that the only really worthy one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may our lives reflect that worthiness. May people see us and know without a shadow of a doubt who it is that we serve. We pray that you would work in this invitation this morning. And God, there may be someone here who's not yet saved. They've, they, they, they've not yet come to you and repented and humbled themselves and trusted you and you alone as their Savior. If that's the case, God, I pray you get a hold of their hearts today. And they might come forward and take my hand and say, Preacher, I need to get saved. Maybe it's, Lord, somebody who's been saved for some time. And uh, our dedication has slipped a little bit. Our, our love, our praise has slipped a little bit. God, we pray that you help us to realize this morning that you are worthy. None of us are, but you are always worthy. Because you are, you are the Son of Man, you are the Saving Lamb, and you're the Conquering King. Lord, bless this invitation and work in our hearts. As you speak to our hearts this, this morning, help us to respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.